<laughs> Just when you start to think they're turning things around, they don't disappoint. As long as you were ready for a total collapse. As usual, the story of the 2023 San Diego Padres, this time wasting two absolute moonshots from Juan Soto. Another steady start from Michael Waka. But same old problems as usual. Runners in scoring position and Luis Garcia's implosion. Bob Melvin questionable decisions. Should he be blamed? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about in today's show, guys. So let's get into it. You are locked on Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Tuesday, June 20th. As always, I am your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, if you want to see my meltdowns about anything, about everything in the world. Let's be honest, it's a crazy world out there, but if you don't want that, and you want to be a little bit more focused, you can see my meltdowns about the Padres only over at LO underscore Padres on Twitter, where I was getting ratioed last night, which was a lot of fun. Um, you can also check out the YouTube if you want to see my hat or whatever I'm wearing, or just say hi to the Tatis bobblehead, or look at my cool water bottle. Whatever you want. Lockdown Padres on YouTube, free and available on all platforms. Man, 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 man. What an episode this might be, let me tell you. Before we get into it, guys, remember to download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed, Game Time, ladies and gentlemen. But let me tell you, you know who wasn't ready for Game Time? The San Diego Padres last night. Heading into this series after having defeated the Tampa Bay Rays in a really weird series, granted, really weird, chaotic sort of series. They went two out of three. They head to this huge, just... What feels like a, a potential turning point seri uh, series of this of the season, if we're being honest with you. Four against the Giants, who have been playing a lot better, and they're ahead of us in the standings. So what do they do? Well, things start off pretty okay. We actually start off with a Tatis ripping a double down the left field line. And then we should have known, ladies and gentlemen, we should have known. What happens after that? He gets picked off trying to steal third. Why is he trying to steal third? Not totally sure. That's how Tatis plays. I don't agree with the decision. But then again, we still love him because he's been playing well. And he usually makes all those stolen bases anyway. It's not like he gets caught too much. Uh, although, here's my thing. is That was an omen of what was to come. And then Juan Soto ends up hitting a, a, a bomb in this one. Right then and there. Could have been two runs. Instead, it's one. Still like it. He, in this game, goes two for four with two solo home runs as well as an intentional walk and another walk regular, uh, the intentional walk coming in extra innings uh, with Manny Machado due up behind him. Whew. Let's keep recapping the game. Let's keep doing it. Michael Waka in this game. And another Padres starter who was just completely unable to strike anybody out, but bet and didn't break. Michael Waka in this game, six innings, two earned runs, two walks, on just four hits, no strikeouts for our guy Michael Waka, which is wild. His ERA on the season is now 2.90. Uh, he just gives up two big bombs. 
uh, really in this game. He makes two mistakes, but the Giants, they're the type of team that's patient at the plate. They're not necessarily a huge strikeout-prone team. Uh, David Villar and Mike Yastrzemski getting the best out of him, and we'll talk about Yastrzemski a little bit later. Um, but I still thought Vlaka looks fine. Definitely not his best start, as evidenced by the zero strikeouts. But, I mean, again, it's just kind of impossible to hate on this guy. I'm starting to wonder if he's a late bloomer. Like the Not like... Maybe not like a Rich Hill type of 35-year-old who all of a sudden becomes like one of the five best pitchers in baseball. Exaggerated a little bit with Rich Hill for people familiar. That guy is incredible. Um, man, I miss when he was pitching in a lot of ways uh, just for the the story of it. I know he was on the Dodgers. Leave me alone. I get what you're saying. But um, that might be the case with Michael Walker. I'm starting to wonder that. I still think that he's due to get absolutely mashed. And he sort of did, though, giving up those two solo shots. Thankfully, nobody was on base. But, again, I mean, he's been so phenomenal this season that it's kind of hard to hate. He's 12th in ERA among all starting pitchers on the season. His expected stats, expecting him to get a little bit worse, but so is everybody's expected stats. Um, XFIP is pretty high at 4.58, but nonetheless, for a guy who got signed at the last second, he's pretty damn good. So this game is not on him. Instead, it is on a, a coalescence of many things. Right? You might just attribute it to just, in general, the Padres not being a winning team. Which I know under, like sounds like the ultimate dad thing to say. Right, I understand it sounds like the ultimate boomer thing to say. Whatever terminology you want to use. And so, oh, that's not a winning player. That's like a classic like dad line, right? But in this case, with the Padres, it's true. And they've been doing this all year. Um, in the bottom of the ninth, because Josh Hader and Tim Hill had... Hold on. Sorry, give me one second. Because Josh Hader and Steven Wilson and obviously your Robert Suarez's and Nick Martinez's and all the other guys in the bullpen, Cosgrove, weren't really available, they end up going with Luis Garcia. Luis Garcia has been abominable um, all year. It was him and Chris Matt basically to start the season that made us really concerned about the Padres' bullpen that I thought was going to be quite good. Um, and it has been good for the most part. But Luis Garcia comes into this appearance if you want to call it that, if you want to dignify it with an appearance, with a 5.23 ERA. And what does he do? He only gets one out. He walks two batters and allows two runs on one hit. Wild pitch as, as part of this as well. Um, He basically had what I will call a little bit of an equivalent of the Sean Manaya slash Mike Clevenger playoff appearance last year. For those who don't remember, against the Phillies, all they needed was Mike Clevenger to go in and not do what he did, which is literally not even get an out and get absolutely mashed out of the game. Just really pathetic um, appearance from Mike Clevenger, right? Later on in the game, Sean Manaya comes in. All he had to do was not get absolutely lit up. That happens. That's what. That's the energy. Totally different situation. Not the same leverage, let's be very clear. But that's the kind of energy it reminded me of, where it's like, yes, it's a struggling pitcher, but we're asking you to do the bare minimum. Unfortunately, though, Luis Garcia is incapable of that. Um, he had one scoreless outing against Cleveland, and apparently that was enough for Bob Melvin to say, I trust you in a high-leverage situation against our division rival, only up by two runs. And he puts him in, and then disaster strikes. Um, they have to end up bringing in Dylan Carlton, for those who were tweeting at me saying, why is Drew Carlton or hold on Dylan, Dylan Carlton, right? Give me one second. It's Drew. Dil oh, I'm doing, I'm thinking of the prospect Dylan Lesko, I think. Okay. So Drew Carlton comes in. He doesn't do any better. 
only gets one out and walks two batters, allowing eventually the game-tying run to score um, after a Soto or a pop-up to Soto. Soto, by the way, worth pointing out, makes a heck of a throw. Heck of an attempt. So Juan Soto is free from blame for this podcast, for the most part. Let me tell you, you 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 are good to go, my man, right? And same thing for Michael Waka, too, because even in a bad, by his standard starts, I mean, it's bad for anyone not to get a single strikeout. Like, still, you know, Waka, 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 you know what I mean? He's still been pretty good. Um, the fly out to Soto, really on-time throw, but unfortunately doesn't get him. Um, I know that there was a couple seconds when Bob Melvin looked like he was going to maybe challenge and say that the runner never tagged the base. That doesn't end up happening. Padres go into the top of the ninth, or I'm sorry, the top of the tenth inning with the top of their lineup, by the way. You don't forget that. Top of their lineup, Fernando Tatis Jr. is at second, obviously, as the zombie runner. Soto gets intentionally walked, and then what happens? We get a Manny Machado strikeout, a Xander Bogarts ground out on a pitch that was a ball four, and then a Jay Cronenworth lines out. Admittedly, though, I thought Cronenworth had it for a second, but welcome to Padres baseball. And then what do the Giants do? They play like a real baseball team. Tyro Strata gets intentionally walked, so they say, screw you, Blake Sayball's coming up, and he's going to bunt. And then all it takes is Mike Yastrzemski, who hits a bomb into the ocean in the Bay Cove, whatever it's called, uh, and it was unfortunate. Um, Ray Kerr unable to get things done there. He actually, <laughs> I, will, I will give one shout out to Ray Kerr being put in a really tough situation, granted that he was just recently called back up. Um, and did get Jack Peterson to strike out the inning before from potentially losing the game right there. But I can't give him a lot of credit because I don't know what Jack Peterson was swinging at. That ball was closer to New Jersey than it was close to uh, the plate there. So, whatever. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just the game recap. And we got to talk about all the other stuff. We got to talk about Garcia. We got to talk about Bob Melvin and the bullpen decisions that were getting not just him flames, but me a little bit on Twitter last night too. But before we get into that, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to talk to you again about a real, real juicy and fantastic thing. We tease it at the opening part of the pod. Game time. It's great. It's great. Look, there have been times, man, where I'm stressed. I don't like being stressed. There's already enough stress in the world. Have you read the news? I mean, Lord almighty. You don't want to have more stress when you're buying tickets to whatever event you may be interested in. And that happens. But with game time, ho, 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 ho. They help you out there. There's flash deals on all sorts of last-minute tickets. You can easily find them for every kind of event in your area. There's images of the seat views, which is great. That's a nice little just aesthetic quality of life thing that I appreciate because I'm a visual learner. I don't know about you guys, but I am a visual lad, and I enjoy seeing things. So saps to them for that. Lowest prices guaranteed. Event cancellation protection as well if something pops up. Job loss protection, etc. They've got you going guys forget planning months in advance game time's got you covered ladies and gentlemen it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason so i mean what are you waiting for and by the way they got game time for all sorts of things you want to go see the eras is that what it's called I, and this isn't a diss I, I don't know much about music uh the the taylor swift world tour go for it i bet you they've got you helped out there or concerts in general theater any sporting event, whatever you want, Game Time's got you covered, guys. So download the app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Create an account, again, and redeem the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Game Time. Ah. 
let's talk about the outrage, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. Who doesn't like a little outrage these days? You know what I mean? I, pretty much everyone, in fairness. I mean, it's 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 not healthy. It's you don't want to be too outraged or looking at random outrage and madness and whatnot. But granted, I am the Joker jester, as my hat has been a little bit off lately. By the way, I don't know why one of the horn things is sticking up. But anyway. Um, Bob Melvin came under fire last night from a lot of people, um, not just Padres Twitter, but just in general media as well, asking him, why was Luis Garcia put in that situation? And basically, to sum things up, it sounded like Bob Melvin, similar to in a move that he did last year, wanted to get Luis Garcia going, which is something that I can understand. I, I truly do. Um, and Luis Garcia obviously was unable to do that. He throws multiple wild pitches. Personally, I don't understand how there wasn't a, a, a shorter leash I think, given how bad he's been, let's let's keep in mind it wasn't too long ago that Colorado series, which granted they got a little bit screwed over because of the rain. I, I stand by that, but uh, giving up like three runs while only getting an out, like that didn't help um, either last time. So he cost us that game, and he also cost us this game. Melvin was trying to say we got to get him going because you got to remember that last year he was a pretty effective reliever. His stuff was awesome. He had three point three. 9 ERA last year, and if you want to go by expected stats, a 2.83 ERA. So some some angles and metrics actually had him getting a little bit unlucky last year. So I can understand looking at that and saying, well, I, I mean, it's it's kind of unprecedented. Nabil Krizmat, you could argue, his changeup, his kind of the way he pitched just wasn't necessarily going to play out. I, I loved Krizmat, and I still love him in a lot of ways, but you could look at that and say, all right, well, he was expected to have a a, a decline. But again, this is what happens with the relievers. Even someone like Garcia, he is 36 year, years old. He's getting up there. He ain't no spring chicken. And unfortunately, he's just completely regressed just to the, not even to the mean, but like meanly. Ugh. God, I feel awful just saying that. Ignore that, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, he's been terrible this year. Six ERA now after this outing. He just, he can't seem to throw. Um, his sinker is getting killed, and not that his sinker was ever his best pitch, but given the usual, I think, what people have expected from sinkers ever since Sean Manaya, that was his kind of primary pitch, he's been a disaster in that respect. And it stinks because, you know, his slider is still pretty effective. Opponents are only hitting 105 against it. His four-seam fastball, not as much, 333 against it. And then his split finger, which he's only thrown 4% of the time this year, has been effective, but that's a small sample size. So his sinker's getting killed, he's not locating, as you saw last night, wild pitches galore, just really, really rough stuff, but I, I want to emphasize that there's still a reason why they believe in him. He was really good last year, and it was not, I don't think, much of a fluke. Uh, he looked great in the playoffs, too. His stuff is nasty, but he's terrible in this scenario. And as someone brought up on Twitter last night as well, Melvin did this last year with Josh Hader when he was going through his giant implosion, and he threw him in the game. And it was against San Francisco, and he gets the save. And then he starts pitching a lot better after that, much to the dismay of yours truly, who thought that this was the sign that the Padres were cooked and that they made a mistake with the trade. Um, and then he ends up becoming Josh Hader for the rest of the season and is instrumental in the playoff success for the team. So it is. these, these are all things worth pointing out. The second thing worth pointing out is that it's not like there's too many people available. I saw people tweeting at me saying, look, Josh Hader, you're a superstar closer, just pitch three days in a row. Or whatever. Use anybody but him. Okay, I can understand that. With Hader, I just don't think it's some surefire thing. I do not think it's like par for the course. It is not a routine thing 
for closers to go three days in a row. I'm unfamiliar with that. Two and then one after a day off, I've seen that before, but also considering that he's a free agent after this year, and I don't blame him. Why should you go out there and throw for a third day in a row when you haven't gotten your bag yet? I totally understand that, and that's fair. And these are relievers. They're volatile. Like, anything could go wrong. If this guy, you know, Lord forbid, has a really bad arm injury, I mean, that's that's awful. I mean, we've seen what's happened to, say, you know, he, he's never been on the same level as Hader, but Trevor Rosenthal, back in the day, was an elite closer, and then his arms developed issues, and... Kind of fell apart after that. He was great for us, by the way, for that one year. But his arm and everything, he was just, he's just cooked, right? So I can understand players looking at this and saying, why? I don't want to pitch a third day in a row. Guys weren't available. They didn't have Mick Martinez available. They didn't have Stephen Wilson available. You used those guys against the Rays because those games were really close and they were effective. So to me, it's a little bit easy to hate on Bob Melvin here. The other counter I saw, aside from allow Hater to pitch a third straight day, which I get it, but also I, I just don't think that a, a third day for a reliever is some type of thing that should be expected, and if they can't do that, then they're bad. I just, that's how they do Not everybody can be Nick Martinez. Nick Martinez is, is like a weird kind of Swiss Army Knife guy who could be a starter sometimes, but also, by the way, when he's a starter, he's not as good, um, versus a setup man and occasionally a closer. Like, he's different. Um, the other argument to bring up is Tim Hill, who in this game goes two innings, no hits, no walks, no runs, and three strikeouts after taking over for Michael Waka. And for a while now, he's looked pretty solid. He's gone multiple innings, but he hasn't necessarily gone three innings. That's something that he's not necessarily all that used to. And he's not, you know, I, I just... I just think that we're grasping at straws here. Um, I will say that on the surface, the idea of, I don't want to put Tim Hill in this next inning because he has a bad matchup, as he said, against Austin Slater. I do understand the outrage there because the outrage there is you don't like the matchup with Austin Slater. Totally fine. I get it. It's also his third, would be his third inning, which is not something that he's necessarily used to. It's important to make sure players are comfortable in the right situation, especially in a high leverage one, as is the bottom of the ninth. Um, But one, Tim Hill hadn't pitched since June 15th, so he was plenty refreshed and ready. As far as we know, right? That's that's totally fair. But number two is, you don't like the matchup with Austin Slater? Well, I don't like the matchup with Luis Garcia against literally anybody. That guy could pitch to Austin Nola, and I'd be worried about it at this point. Um, so for me, that I think is a fair critique. I do. Um, and I remember, if anyone's curious, you could actually go back and look up my interview with Jason Burke of Locked On A's, who's, one for one thing... Uh, going through it right now with the A's and their current situation. But two, he's really smart and he gets all things baseball. And when Bob Melvin was manager of the A's, when he was brought in by the Padres, we did a crossover. It's what was at the time, one of my highest viewed episodes, actually. So just type in Lockdown Padres Bob Melvin. You'll probably find it. Um, And one of the things that he brought up was Melvin's one little flaw, which is he's had some questions about his bullpen management. This was back with the A's. Now, it is worth pointing out that the A's were a team that just consistently didn't care about talent, as evidenced by their moving to Vegas. They didn't want to spend, blah, 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 blah. But even still, it was something that Jason Burke brought up. And that appeared last year in the playoffs when they kept Robert Suarez in for another inning instead of bringing in your best guy, Josh Hader, to face the best guy in the playoffs, Bryce Harper. For the record, Robert Suarez is really good. And this the loss of him stings now. After, especially after last night, more than ever. And Suarez gives up that big home run. 
that the Philly fans freak out about and then use as a reason to trash the, the entire Padres team and act as if their fans aren't the most hilly-dilly, you know, fickle fan base out there. But nonetheless, it happened. Um, and that was just a one small example, and this one being another. So the bullpen management is a question with Bob Melvin. However, I really take issue with the idea of putting everything on him. Like, everything. Uh, not, not everything, but a lot of it on him. People have been annoyed with him. And my thing is, this is a guy who has been routinely, routinely praised by nearly everyone in baseball. And I know that that might make some fans a little bit worried because baseball will have plenty of players praising Eric Hosmer and such, and then they're not any good. So I, I get it, and it might be just be a peer thing. But from what I have heard, from the people that you listen to who have heard, everyone loves Bob Melvin. He's a great manager. And by the way, without Soto, without Tatis, without Xander Bogarts, and with... Trent Grisham hitting the way he was, and Jake Cronenworth taking a step back, they still managed to squeak into the playoffs, and they performed really well last year. And Bob Melvin deserves a lot of credit for that. He came in, and immediately, as a a team that was looking on the downturn, right, especially following the Tatis injury at the time, and then later on suspension, takes the team to the playoffs, and then they beat two 100-win teams. That's not a fluke. All right, this isn't a Doc Rivers scenario where it's like we're praising the guy for something that he did literally in 2008. Bob Melvin has had recent success, recent great success. And what happened in Oakland, yes, I understand the bullpen management issues, but with Oakland, it's like, hey, they didn't care. Like, I feel bad. The guy got out of there and dipped before it got bad because he knew they don't care about making the team better. Imagine what he could do with a team that does have an ownership and manager and front office that cares about making the team better. So that'd be my thing about that. But we're not done. We're not done. I still want to keep talking about Bob Melvin and such. But before we get into that, a slip of water. It's funny because, um, you know, everybody, by the way, thank you for making Lockdown Pirates first listen every day. Free and available on all platforms. Um, it's funny because <laughs> I remember, what was it? I'm losing my train of thought. With Melvin. Um, with Melvin. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Let me go into my other points then. When it comes to how much blame does Bob Melvin deserve? Look, <laughs> it's becoming more of an issue for me that I feel as though we have not criticized the guys at the top of the lineup all that much. Um, Bogarts has been messy. Soto was messy for the first month. I just feel like oftentimes we forget that those guys are all supposed to be MVP quality players and they make mistakes, particularly with... Machado and Soto the first month and Bogarts of late that we kind of just a little bit every now and then forget that like these guys are all underperforming for the most part with the exception of probably Tatis because he hasn't played in a year and he's coming off an injury um, that everybody's underperforming the offense is still the worst in baseball with runners in scoring position so while it is so easy to go out and say you know um why didn't we use Lu why did we lose use Luis Garcia? Why didn't we go to Tim Hill for the third inning? Why can't Josh Hader be used for the third inning? You know what would help? If you score just one run after the fifth inning and you didn't go one for seven with runners in scoring position. It's just an idea. Tatis getting caught at third base right before Soto hits an opposite field home run. Xander Bogart's first pitch with first and third. It is like clockwork with this team. With not getting productive outs. With, by the way, Bogarts 
in extra innings in the top of the 10th inning, swinging at a pitch that would have been ball four. Um, and granted, I get it. We don't know if necessarily Cronenworth does anything there. But that was ball four. Moves the runners up. Sure, whatever. After Manny Machado already struck out. So now it's two outs. And he also, in this situation, first pitch, grinds into a double play. Ends the inning. And I understand he was frustrated. You can tell. He just stared into space. Not in like, a, I'm lost, but in a like, you got to be kidding me fashion. And it was a pitch that was low. And he's swinging at it. It feels like a lot of people on this Padres lineup are looking for the hit and they're trying to play like hero ball. I know that's a term used in, in basketball, but that's what it feels like a lot of times. Like it really does. It feels like they, they're just, every single one of them is looking for the crazy big hit to energize the team because you can tell how excited they are whenever they do anything. The team is looking for reasons. They're looking for guys to step up to get them out of this funk. That's what it feels like watching them in terms of just body language and just overall vibes. And they just can't do it. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. So while everyone wants to blame Bob Melvin for last night, I understand the bullpen issues and all that. I am just looking at this and saying, well, Suarez is hurt. Drew Pomeranz is hurt. You use Wilson. You use Hayter. You use Martinez. You use, you've used basically everybody. And I understand. I understand that you might want to use Tim Hill for the third inning, but I would like it if the Padres didn't literally be the worst team in baseball with runners in scoring position. They're still hitting under 200 with runners in scoring position. The next worst is at 217. The Royals are better. The freaking Guardians are better, and they can't hit for in general, but they can at least hit a little bit better with runners in scoring position, and the Padres can't. And it's, it's stuff like that that frustrates me, and again... People, some people were tweeting, you know, um, Bob Melvin needs to go. This is ridiculous. And my response to that is, I just think it's not a coincidence that this guy is making mistakes or getting a lot of criticism with the Padres when it's probably with the front office you have to take it up with. I was actually talking with someone this morning where it's like, and I've talked about this on my podcast in the AJ Preller episode, nobody gets better with the Padres. Nobody. You either stay the same or you get worse. Even Juan Soto, lifetime 280 hitter, he's taking 256 right now, which granted doesn't matter that much in a vacuum because he still has an on-base percentage of over 400 and he still hits for power and extra bases and his WRC plus is great and everything. But it's just worth mentioning that he didn't get better. He got a little bit worse. Xander Bogarts has gotten worse. Uh, Jake Cronenworth every year has gotten worse. <laughs> when they brought in Mitch Moreland, he, he stunk. When they brought in Adam Frazier, he stunk. When they brought in Eric Hosmer, he stunk. When they brought in Josh Bell, he stunk. When they brought in Brandon Drury, he stunk. There comes a point when you look at all this stuff and you say, why does nobody get better on this team? So I'm just, oh my God, I'm losing it. And some people were were commenting, again, this is me every now and then I do this, but some people, how can you lose to the Giants? You can't lose against bad teams. The Giants are not a bad team. In fact, the Giants are a good example of, of why I'm always yelling about team building and why I didn't necessarily think they need to only add superstar players. The Giants have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They have 12 players with a WRC plus over 100. They play the matchups from Austin Slater to Lamont Wade Jr., who has basically been Juan Soto at the plate, by the way. 415 on base percentage with a 280 batting average. Nine home runs as well. Literally the same type of player, more or less. And they're getting him for like a buck fifty. Not that the money matters all that much, but still. Jack Peterson crushes depending on the matchup. Bad defensively, but crushes depending on the matchup. JD Davis, who they got from the Mets, he's raking. He's got a 134 WRC plus. I don't know how that happened, but he's doing it. 
Patrick Bailey, Luis Matos, Tyro Estradas might be an all-star. Mike Yastrzemski, not the best player in the world, right? 118 WRC plus though, he's better than last year. And he likes walking a decent amount. And he can hit for power. Michael Conforto, my number one free agent for the offseason, 109 WRC+. Plus. He's got a 423 slugging percentage, and he's got 12 home runs, the most on the team. And he's probably going to get better, honestly. This is not a bad team. This is a really good team. Um, not, not elite, but it's really good, and they know what they're doing. Dave Gabe Kapler won GM Manager of the Year two years ago when they won 107 games. It's not a coincidence. They find guys to make them better. We find guys that are flashy and superstars and just hope that they don't get too much worse. That's the difference between these two teams. And with Melvin, I just think that he's a, like maybe a symptom of what happens uh, with this franchise, unfortunately. And it really stinks, man. It really stinks. I hate it. I hate that I have to log on to this podcast every day with this stupid hat just waiting to be excited about a team that spent all this money and has all these big names and I'm still being annoyed by the same double plays and mistakes and refusing to drive anybody in that they do. I mean, it's it's genuinely incredible. So while there are haters out there who, who are going to make fun of them, at the same time, I'd say it's not like runners in scoring position is a stat that is going to translate every year, right? It's not like like the clutch stat isn't something that historically anyway, like stretches for on a team level year to year. This isn't like when you're analyzing James Harden in basketball where it's like, oh, breaking news, he's stuck in the playoffs again. Like, that's a trait. Not necessarily a trait for the rest of these guys and for an entire team to consistently come up close, uh, come up not clutch. Because they did it last year, right? And they have better players this year. So all they have to do is be average at the plate, and they can't do that. <sighs> Wish I remember the point I was going to make coming out of the commercial. It's going to bother the heck out of me. This is what happens sometimes when you you come up with something while you're doing a live show and then you forget it. And it's also what happens when you're slowly, your brain is atrophying uh, by watching this team. <laughs> it's just... I don't know, man. I don't know. Every single time. Every single time this season. It's just been like a lost cause. It has felt like every single time they're about to get things rolling. They just blow it, you know? Haven't won more than three games, I think, more than once this year in a row. They just go out there and find kind of ways to lose. They're terrible in one-score one games. I imagine that in two-score games, they've been pretty terrible, too, <laughs> in a lot of ways. I believe they are... Um, I don't think they've won a game in extra innings so far this year. It's, uh, man... Man, oh man. Yeah, I, I can't even do my laugh. <laughs> oh, what the heck, I'll laugh anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But there's just like a a vibe to this team that it just feels like, like what's going to happen? Is AJ Peller going to get fired? Is Bob Melvin going to get fired? I don't recommend doing either of those two things midseason if you're going to, uh, particularly with Melvin. But it's just they find ways, man. They find ways... And for those saying, you know, we got to get new bullpen arms, well, all right, I mean, who's out there, right? There's definitely relievers out there that you can get. They might even call up some prospects. Maybe I got to check in on um, some, of, some, of, some of my other folks that I've been keeping an eye on in the system. Maybe they're ready, whatever. That's possible. But, you know, you want to make a trade or all this Chapman makes sense because he's been much better this year for the Royals for the most part. 
at least last time I checked, and he was someone that the Padres were reportedly interested in, so sure. But at the same time, guys, the Padres' bullpen had an ear, had the third-best ERA in baseball heading into last night's game. Like, it's not like that's been a weakness. It is the same thing as usual. It's runners in scoring position. Guys aren't playing well. Cronenworth got a seven-year extension, not doing anything. Hassan Kim, totally cool with him. He has lived up to the bill, although granted, not always great with runners in scoring position. But even still, he's been good. Um, he's done what he what he's supposed to. Soto with runners in scoring position, not the best. Manny, only recently started heating up, and we just saw what happened with Bogart. So there just comes a point where you you just you're losing it. You're losing hope in a really competitive vision, and the Giants outclassed them last night, as they've outclassed them for the last. Since like 2006, really. Probably even before that, as far as I know. Um, and they did it yet again. They know what they're doing over there. The Padres don't. They're undisciplined. They look terrible at the plate. They don't swing at the right pitches. Manny swung at like 17 pitches from Camilo Duvall, and then he gets struck out on a pitch way out of the zone. Got to bring those things up, too. These guys are getting paid like superstars, and I'm more than happy that they got paid. It's worth it, and they should have got paid. But it's... They just haven't come through. They haven't. And it stinks. It really stinks. But since I've done enough uh, stalling and trying to remember what that mysterious point of mine that I was going to make was, uh, I have nothing left. So that's it. We're about done, ladies and gentlemen. That is it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast. The only pod... That may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. You can make fun of me and tweet at me, call me an idiot, whatever you want. I don't really care. <laughs> DM me, I guess, until they turn off that functionality, which is dumb, whatever. Yeah, Twitter is a nightmare too, I guess. Blah, blah, blah. Everything's a nightmare. My gosh. I think I'm, I think I'm losing it. Anyway, uh, until next time, stay safe, and I guess stay faithful. My Friar Faithful homies, take care.